episode of brawn and brains with me today i have brian walker on the podcast and i found brian through a friend of a friend kind of i um, reached out to a connection just to hear about her experience and i stayed in touch with that connection and she was recently on brian's podcast when i was listening to brian's podcast i found out he's reaching out to 1,000 people to be on to be on the pod. And I thought that was really interesting because I just concluded my personal challenge of reaching out to one person every day for 100 days. So of course I had to have him on. Brian, can you give us a little introduction to yourself? Hello everyone, uh, my name is Brian Walker. I'm a musician, professional, podcaster, and author, and documentarian. So I'm a person of many hats, and uh, it's, it's really, truly a pleasure to talk to you and, and share my story with you. Uh, especially given the fact that like I'm no stranger to storytelling, whether it be as a musician or an author or whatever, but it's always cool to talk to people with like, like-minded and similar projects. Definitely. I just realized, give me one second, my headphones aren't in. No, oh, that's real. So close. There we go. Cool, cool, cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be on the show. Um, Starting off, I'd like to talk to you about your life before college. Did you grow up in the Philly area? I know that's where you're based now. And what did you want to study before you ultimately went to Penn State, which is our shared alma mater? Certainly. So I grew up from like zero to like 13, 14 in West Oak Lane, Northwest Philly area. I was a couch school kid and, you know, I went to Sunday school. I did a lot of activist work. I also did martial arts. I was exposed to a lot, but I was still like, had a very structured life. Then when I went to high school, I moved to the suburbs and not even like the true suburbs of Philadelphia. Cause like true suburbs of Philadelphia are like, Doylestown, Westchester, King of Prussia, where it's like an hour and, you know, I got to take a turnpike. I was still across the street from Philadelphia, uh, living in Glenside. So, I mean, I still had access to trains and and, and things like that. So I went to Springfield Township High School, not Springfield High School, which is in Delco in the true suburbs. And uh, I did that. And while I was doing that, I was just continuing martial arts, continuing being involved in the church. And I wanted to go to school for biopharmaceutical engineering. Uh, And I was really attracted to that because I knew that was a field that was really into the study of disease and finding cures for diseases and and designing medicine. And I wanted to do that because growing up, I had a lot of loss in my family, whether all due to natural illnesses from from AIDS to heart attacks to cancer, et cetera, et cetera. And I also found depression and, and alcoholism. And I realized despite being depressed and like drinking a lot, I like to talk to people. I actually had a mentor, actually many mentors that said I had the gift of the gab. And the day-to-day of a biopharmaceutical engineer does not involve a lot of gabbing. It involves a lot of microscoping. And despite doing well in my classes, I didn't really want to do that. So I decided to pursue, you know, psychology and business because I was like, you know, I still like numbers. Let me continue with business and psychology because I do like human behavior and I myself as someone that has, you know, faced like the, the lows of depression. 
So I started school at Lehigh University, then transferred over, transferred over to Penn State. And that's where like the beginning of my career, both professionally and musically kind of started. Yeah, that's so interesting. I was about to say, that's crazy that music came into all of this. So did you find out your passion for music when you were in college? Totally. Because like, I always was around music. Like I have an uncle who's a hip hop DJ. I have many uncles that played guitar. You know, I have some cousins that, you know, perform here and there. But I couldn't do what they did because they were like hip hop DJs, blues guitarists, like like real blues guitarists. Not like, hey, I could play a 12 bar, like, like real real deal stuff and I was exposed to a lot of music block parties house shows the whole nine but I didn't pick up the guitar till I was 18 and when I picked up the guitar at 18 while at Lehigh that's when I think my life started to change where I was just like I really like guitar this is like my new therapist you know it just was like really really something I was into and I didn't think about performing until I was like 19 or 20 and that's where I was just hitting the open mic circuit wherever I went, whether it was like in college or in my neighborhood and stuff like that. And I think for me, gears didn't start to turn until I was 21 because I was playing house shows, not as a day without love, but just like, you know, my name's Brian Walker. My friend started to record me because like he believed in me. And then I started playing bars and doing cover shows and things like that. But I was doing all of that while, you know, heavily studying HR, business, marketing, because like my skills at music wasn't good enough to say like, I should pursue this, I should start recording. But I just knew I really loved it at the time. Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like that's a lot to handle, especially at Penn State, which is a pretty academically rigorous school, especially in the psychology department and HR on top of all of that. So did you play house? So just to clarify things, the type of music you write is house music, correct? No, 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 no. Uh, so when okay. I said house shows, I meant playing at houses. Got I mean, you, I, got I, you. I can make house music, but I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't do that. Yeah, I, I play multiple genres. Like, you know, I sometimes dabble in like being part of hip hop features. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I play jazz here and there. But primarily, I'm mostly a like folk, anti-folk artist. Think Kimya Dawson, Paul Barabo, Andrew Jackson, Jihad, Death Cab for Cutie, Neutral Milk Hotel, m- music like that. That's awesome. Very, very cool. And did you play then mostly in Philly during college? Like, did you have to go home for the weekends and play? Or were there places in uh, Pennsylvania that, I mean, excuse me, at Penn State that you could, you could perform? Certainly. So when I was at Penn State, I was mostly playing at this one house called Casablanca that like, I co-booked with, you know, my friend Joe and Drew at the time. It was like the three of us who were all working together. And occasionally we had other people uh, work with us. And I was just, like, playing those shows. I played, like, spaghetti fundraisers for different charitable reasons, you know, reasons. I, I did a lot of Thon fundraising, too. I played one outside gig in Pittsburgh with this band called Mace Ballard. You know, they're, they're from Pittsburgh. And the groundbreaking ceremony. Those bands don't exist anymore. And then... Yeah, I didn't play in Philly till after college, actually. Like, granted, like, I was from Philly and I did attend shows. I just didn't actually play till after I finished college. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And I saw that after you attended Penn State, you went to Hofstra. It's funny because that's actually one of the schools I toured before going to Penn State. My mom's family lived on Mer- in uh, Merrick, Long Island for a little bit. So Hofstra to me was always really cool. For people listening, Hofstra is on Long Island and is a short distance away from New York City. Did you not even take a gap between your undergrad and grad school? Did you jump right into getting your master's? 
Correct. That's exactly what I did. And I mean, like, that wasn't planned. It was just more like I couldn't find it. And that, like, that were hiring were, like, borderline pyramid schemes. But, <laughs> like, I was a McNair scholar, and I did a lot of research at Penn State. So my research carried me to getting accepted to three different grad schools. So I chose Hofstra because they had some bit of uh, financial aid, and it was, like, affordable living at the time. Not so much now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I found an apartment. It was just, like, a one-bedroom, like, one-room-type deal in someone's house. And I didn't really pursue music there. I was just playing open mics here. It was just, like, strictly to the books. And then mm -hmm. I joined a band there, and I was playing in a band, and then I got homeless, and that's when I think things really changed for me, because I was like a homeless grad student. It was really weird. Was that after grad school or during grad school? When that it was all during grad school. So Hurricane, oh my San goodness. Hurricane Sandy happened, and basically I was living in my house with no heat, electricity, or, or anything. And then I got kicked out of my place by the police, because Hofstra had this weird policy that like if you live off campus and your place isn't habitable, you have to like find a different place to live in so i wasn't able to even be in my own apartment and then i had to go to the dorms they didn't have space for the dorms so i was couch surfing sometimes i was couch surfing at places that i knew like i knew the people sometimes it was random but it was pretty tough to be honest with you and that lasted for about 20 25 days oh my goodness the guitar was like my best friend like seriously at that time and that's when i said like you know I have this concept of my music called A Day Without Love, but let me actually do it. And I wrote some songs, and uh, I had a friend who just finished uh, recording school, and I said, hey, I'm wrapping up grad school. How about during our winter breaks, we meet together and record this record? And that's how it all started. It's crazy that Hofstra did that, because getting an education, especially higher ed, is already incredibly expensive. Mm -hmm. After those 25 days, did you end up going back home to Philly, or were you able to find somewhere? No, I ended up getting back to my apartment after the 25 days because, like, my electricity came back on. And, I mean, we did get, like, a, you know, like, some of our rent got decreased. Well, my rent, I didn't live with anyone, got decreased because of the lost days. But, like, I just had to finish school, so I didn't really get yeah. So Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's such a tough situation. It's either yeah. live, live in squalor or... Yeah. Um, and finish your education or go home that must have been yeah. a really difficult choice to pick yeah. between and i had it like... <laughs> you're like you're like i gotta make it work somehow yeah. did hofstra not shut down during hurricane uh hurricane sandy not really like you know wow. there were part it was like partially shut down like here and there the dining hall might be open for less hours here and there but school still carried on as normal Okay, well, you got yeah. that degree. Good for yeah. you. Yeah. That's a lot of determination. I yeah. saw that like after you went, after you did grad school, you worked at some pretty impressive places after stalking your LinkedIn, like Comcast, Accenture, BlackRock, which is really cool. How did you go from having such a hard time at Penn, after Penn State to finding a job to having very cool corporate jobs like that? Honestly, just sharing my story like I'm sharing with you. Like, I could definitely say I haven't found, like, the company of my dreams yet. Yeah. Um, but working for those companies was definitely really cool to learn more about the world of HR and mm -hmm. just more about different industries, such as, like, the communications industry, the chemicals industry, the finance and finance tech industry. And I could definitely say, like, life hasn't always been easy for me, but it's gotten easier as I've moved forward. 
And, like, I definitely can say for anyone, no matter where you are in your life, always move forward, no matter the setbacks, because by moving forward, progress does indeed happen. It might not be obvious, but, like, the progress does happen. I mean, as I'm sharing my story with you, I'm recognizing that there's been progress in my life, so. Yeah, that's so awesome to hear. I think that's really good advice for for anyone. I feel like it's been so difficult since COVID hit, so after... I so give everyone some context and to give you some context senior year hit and I accepted a job right after an internship and then I realized basically halfway through my senior year I don't want to do this so I denied the job or went back on my contract right before spring break because I it was like the last moment I could it felt like and then when I came home from spring break the pandemic hit and the economy went absolutely crazy so I obviously did not have a job for those few months right before I graduated. And it felt like I wasn't moving forward at all. And that was like the worst feeling ever. And it took me like, it just just felt like so much emotional energy to try to like recover from unemployment. Like it's a different kind of like adult disappointment that I feel like I never really understood until I graduated and until my title of a student was like stripped away from me and I didn't have anything else. It was, it was definitely a little wonky out there. And I'm really happy that stuff pulled through, but I definitely think forward progression is extremely important. I also saw, I saw now that you were a freelance writer, which is really cool. How did you get into freelance writing? So I would say my freelance writing career, which I don't write enough about on LinkedIn, dates back to my days at Penn State. Wow, okay. In addition to finding the Penn State Songwriters Club, which I'm pretty sure doesn't exist anymore with COVID and everything else, but I know it lasted at least 10 or 11 years. I started that club because I wanted mu- music like that was local to live in Penn State. Because it didn't make sense that all of these kids are only listening to covers of Living on a Prayer by the same different groups of dudes. That just didn't make sense at all. So that was like my first and foremost. And that that club succeeded. A lot of connections were made. Some people even got married because of the club, you know. I'm not going to own that, but you know. But... In addition, someone asked me to write for this blog called State in the Real. And State in the Real was a music blog that was based on like supporting local arts and music and Penn State. And also I did a few guest blogs for Onward State as well, because I was friends with a lot of people in the journalism department. So a lot of my freelance writing started there. Like I never wanted to be like a full-time journalist or anything like that, but I always thought it was fun. So I did that for a while. Then I did a lot of social media ghostwriting for people and and different businesses by just opening up an Upwork account and a lot of like communication planning for different projects and initiatives, whether it's change management oriented or marketing oriented. Then I also worked for a nonprofit. So there was just like a lot of different like side hustle roles that I had in my like career working as a freelance writer. My most recent opportunity was working for Philadelphia Globe which was like an an arts and culture and film publication in Philadelphia. I unfortunately no longer write for them. I actually need to change that just due to funding on their end. But it definitely was a fun time because like I'm a songwriter. I am a poet. I've also been an academic writer and and published. So why not extend my writing ability to like another, another avenue? That's really incredible that you're able to write in all those different forums. Right now, I'm currently writing my first thing ever for um, my job. 
uh, which is a blog post. And I write the newsletter, which goes out, which is already a catastrophe, a catastrophe for me. I always tell people that like since graduating, I haven't written more than 140 characters because that's what can fit on my tweets. Like I am not a good writer. I am so jealous of anyone that has the natural ability of storytelling. Like that's something, a skill that I just wish I was born with. I, I do not have. And I'm writing my first blog post right now. And I got ripped a new one by my boss when he was like going through and editing my first draft. And I was thinking to myself like, oh my gosh, I just wish I took more writing classes in college. I wish I paid attention more because I truly think that being a good writer and being a good storyteller at the heart of things can just take you to so many different places. And obviously you wear so many different hats that's treating you well in many different in many different forms. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned that you did cinematography. Through all my stalking, I didn't see that. Can you elaborate more on that one? Okay, so I'm working with a documentary. Well, actually, I'm working with a videographer on a documentary called Safe and Sound. And the documentary was drafted out of my idea because at the time I was just vlogging with different artists around Philly about Philadelphia's arts culture. It was like, all right, I'm playing the show. Let me talk to the booker and like step outside. And like, they're very poorly done, but like, they were vlogs that I was doing. And I was like, how about. I create this documentary that's like this full scale documentary about arts, culture, consent, and community and, and inclusion. And I quit my job at BlackRock so I could create a documentary by going on tour for about 20, 21 days uh, across like 19 different towns. And we interviewed like 17 people about their views towards like underground arts cultures and how they like serve as a safe haven for progressive thought. So right now we're in the editing phase and the animation phase and the documentary should come out sometime this June. And like a dream of mine would be like to have a catalog of like one to five documentaries on different like cultural topics in the arts world that just don't get talked about. So like this one, we're talking about like, why is your art space important to the community? And that's a bigger part. Why are houses and coffee shops and things like that, like really important for, for all of us. So. That is such an awesome thing. Yeah. So when were you able to record all of this? Uh, we recorded it in 2019 and we were going okay. to release Pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we were going to release it in 2020, but like, you know, COVID set back. <laughs> so, so now we're working on editing and I'm going to start working on like trying to find partners to like help us with not just funding, but also creating a space for it to be seen and viewed. Because yeah. now more than ever, we're questioning how can venues, how can places where art is held be valued again? Because, you mm -hmm. know, in those conversations about small business funding, music venues weren't put in those conversations. Art spaces weren't put in those conversations, coffee shops. So this documentary has like a lot of value in bringing that forward to the public eye. I really enjoy that the space of underground art in Philly, especially. I think Philly is not seen enough as a city that has a lot of art to it, for lack mm. of a better term. I used to go to this thing called Rock the House on the weekends, which was a um, bunch of DJs, basically, that were all at one venue. And it was really cool and it was outdoors before COVID, obviously. And during the summer, they were able to have some stuff too. But obviously, it's not they're not covered, like you said, within anyone's COVID plans. And it's so difficult to try and see these artists, which are often new artists that are just coming out with music or just getting into DJing or maybe are only the first few years in their career. And now they're doing things like streaming on Twitch and stuff, which is really cool. But 
they're not selling they're not selling tickets anymore to go to there to go watch them play they're not really i think there's a difference between kind of seeing live music and seeing somebody connect with their own art versus watching it over the internet like i'm i'm a very i'm very much a live music kind of person i absolutely love live music not necessarily even like concerts but just live music like live music at the bar kind of how you said like in the coffee shop like that atmosphere so i can't even imagine right now like what the artistic community is feeling not just financially but feeling in the way of connecting to the people that they were able to connect with before. So that's going to be a really good documentary. What cities were you able to go to, or excuse me, towns? Uh, it was both. So like you were, you okay. were right both times. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll try to do it in order. It was Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, Philadelphia, Black, no, 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 no. Yeah, Blacksburg, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, Roanoke, Virginia, Hickory, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, Atlanta, Georgia, Athens, Georgia. We went to Florida and what beach was it? St. Augustine, Nashville, Memphis, Ole Miss. So wherever that town is in, in that mm-hmm. area, Ole Miss area. We went to Ohio. We went to Indiana. We went to DC and we played in West Virginia as well. So, yeah. Very, very cool. That's awesome. My cousin right now is trying to break into the country music scene mm. um, and is struggling in Nashville a little bit. I think he's actually back. He's also a law student. So that's kind of cool. A little double life action. Yeah. And he was in, did an internship in Nashville because he was like, oh, kind of like, you know, two birds, one stone. So he could finish his internship there and play live music. And obviously COVID, COVID hit. And that's a little bit, that's a little rough for him. Will you guys be incorporating anything about the pandemic and how it's affected the industry? Or were you guys pretty much done filming by the we time were, that we happened? We were done filming at the time. If if everything was like 100% in my control, mm-hmm. I definitely would have like tried to release this in chunks or different series and then do like a pandemic portion of like how streaming <laughs> still keeping the community alive. Yeah, of course. But I definitely still think this documentary has a lot of value during this time as a way to make people remember and i don't say make but let people remember like there is a quantitative and qualitative value to concerts and yeah. we do need to bring them back one way or the other yeah completely so. feels so nostalgic even thinking about uh oh, going yeah. to one i just had a snapchat that came up on my like snapchat memories of me at, i was studying abroad two years ago and it was me at this like crazy like edm concert and I was like, imagine, like, I can't even, ima- my brain can't even fathom standing with all those people. Like, oh my goodness. It's just, I know everyone's thinking the same thing, but I, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Moving forward, I guess, to our last topic I want to talk about, the Dreams Not Memes podcast, how I found you, why this all started. So why did you decide to start this podcast? Certainly. So I'm first going to start with the name before I even start with the podcast. So the name came out as a stream of consciousness, to be completely honest with you. I was on tour with my friend Marcelin, and we were driving into the New England area, and I just was like, you know, I know I'm a millennial, but Generation Z needs to lay off the memes. Like, I'm a dreamer, and I just believe that we need to believe in our dreams, not the memes. And, like, I did not think anything of that. And then when I turned 30, Marcelin came to my birthday dinner and made a hat that said dreams not memes oh this is funny where'd you get this from she's like you made it up and then she like told me the story again and i was like oh man i really did say that right (laughs) like personally i'm the sort of person who says a lot of things that could be catchphrases 
but I don't think anything about it. Like some people say like, I really should work in advertising. That's like where my real calling is. And I wore the hat a lot. And I mean, no matter where I went, someone stopped me and was like, what is that? Is that a book? Is that a podcast? This, that, and a third. And then I went on another tour with another friend and I, I had this hat for like nine, 10 months. And everywhere we went, someone said, dreams, not memes, dreams, not memes. And he's like, bro, you need to make that a podcast before someone else does. So I was like, well, for saying that, you're going to be my first guest. I love that. So we recorded it in my, like, van that, like, I, I, you know, record, I mean, that I tour in. And the podcast was basically supposed to be, like, this storytelling podcast where I interview people in my immediate network about what drives their passion, what drives their profession, and what have they learned along the way in their journey. So now the goals changed a little bit where I'm still sticking to that mission, but I want to be able to interview a thousand people from all parts of the world, like at least one country and one person from at least one country. And after I complete that goal, I want to start breaking it down to categories, like interview 10 accountants, interview 10 marketers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So. That is so cool. So have you, have, how have you been trying to reach out to people at the different countries? Like, are these people you already know? So I started with just knowing who I know, right? Mm -hmm. And and as of today, February 3rd, I've covered all the U.S. I've covered every province in Canada, and I just confirmed some Yukon interviews, and I'm waiting on Northwest Territory. So let's just say all of Canada. I've got Mexico. I've got speckles of the Caribbean and speckles of Central America and South America. So I'm working my way down uh, Western Hemisphere. Like, I just want to get the Western Hemisphere done. But that doesn't mean that I haven't interviewed people from Africa, because I have, or people from Europe, or people from Asia. And, like, I have an interview with Guam coming in a few days. So, like, I'm open to other parts, but the reason why I'm focusing on the Western Hemisphere is just strictly because of time and scheduling. Yeah. So I basically started working with a convenient sample. And then after that, it's like referrals. So like, you know, mm-hmm. you and I know each other through Brittany and I know each other through Society of Human Resource Management in college. So like, that's how that worked. And Brittany's like referred me to people. And then sometimes I just do cold calls by like just going on Twitter or Instagram and typing in something like Norway. What's in Norway? What's trending in Norway? Okay, I didn't find anything that's entrepreneurial or musical or activist driven. Type in Norwegian activists. Then maybe I might reach out to a Norwegian activist or... If I'm in uh, Germany, I might say, type in something like German record label and then start talking about label owners and, and so forth and so forth. So that's kind of done it, like hashtags and, and referrals. So, yeah. yeah, it's like the six degrees of Brian Walker instead of the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I really yeah. like that. That's yeah. really thank interesting. You. Thank you. Thank you. The, like the cold intros to me have been, that's what I mostly did my, when I did my challenge of reaching out to 100 people, mm-hmm. that's kind of what the fear that I was getting over because I found myself in college. I don't meet people really well online. I think I'm in between like the Gen Z millennial. I was born in 1997. So I'm right on the cusp. Like I didn't grow up with a cell phone, like strapped to my hand, but I didn't, I didn't necessarily, you know, I, I'm on TikTok. So I'm in this weird, this weird space. And I think I, I miss the cusp as mi- uh, cusp of making internet friends really easily Mm. i see my siblings that are just my brother's only like four years younger than me and he's like oh i met these people over like gaming online and stuff like that and i just totally don't relate to people online as well as i do face to face in person and that was a skill i was totally trying to work on and i think by cold emailing over and over and cold twitter you're right i think twitter for anybody listening is fabulous like literally reach out to anyone on twitter i think it's the best response rate i've ever gotten on any platform ever i don't know why but 
kudos to Twitter. But learning how to make internet friends through the art of the cold, the cold DM has been an interesting experience. Do you have any advice to give people on um, cold messaging? Oh yeah, I would say don't make your your intro message more than 300 characters. Make sure that you have your ask in the beginning and always open with, I'm open to answering more questions as opposed to like a deadline. Because when you make it a deadline, it kind of communicates like desperation. Because mm-hmm. like, for example, I would say I probably have like a seven to eight, seven to 80% like response rate either someone says that is so high yeah it's it's either someone says i'm not interested or i have someone else like trust me like i've definitely had my fair share of let me get back to you and they don't get back to me those are the worst yeah or like those are even worse than not responding like if you're gonna say that somebody did not get back if you're one of those people just don't just don't respond or like another negative one i get is uh does your podcast pay (laughs) and i say well if you look at the number of people i'm interviewing no (laughs) you know know what i mean (laughs) i did not set aside fifty thousand dollars to pay a thousand like you know what i'm saying (laughs) yeah that that's just a lot um i mean hey viacom if you want to give me money but anyways (laughs) i would definitely say like keep it short but also be willing to answer questions because like i have some people where they just hear podcast let's do it right and i have other people that want to ask like 30 questions and then yeah. I'll answer them. And then, like, some people just want to book a call, like, just to see if, like, I'm a cool person before we actually hop in. So yeah. be flexible. That's my second uh, bit of advice. And and lastly, be accommodating, which kind of leads into, you know, being flexible. So, you know, be flexible, be accommodating, and keep it short for your ass. I like that. That's. I think those are really, really great. Especially putting your ask in the beginning. That's something that I really must step on in the beginning of my journey. I'm kind of fangirl as, like, a... I like to say it like in the intros, be like, oh my gosh, I saw, I've been following you on Twitter for like all this time. And then at the last sentence, be like, it would be like, also, by the way, I have a podcast and I'm looking for people, which definitely, like, I feel like people stop reading. You know what I mean? True. So definitely for the ask in the beginning, you were extremely flexible too. Brian um, said he couldn't talk anytime, which I thought was absolutely fabulous. Because a lot of people, I feel like that is so for starters i work a nine to five which isn't actually a nine to five it's more like a seven to seven or how i like to say my hours so brian was super awesome saying oh i'm free anytime if you are somebody that's looking to have a podcast that's something i wish i knew before starting it is how time consuming it was beforehand i started this when i was still in school or i kind of got to like build my own schedule and then when i got to the the real world of the corporate america i was like oh my gosh like how am i gonna find people to record especially with the the time difference like what happens if i'm talking to someone from like europe i have to record with them at like 8 a.m yeah which has been a little a little wonky yeah so but anyway thank you so much for being on the podcast where can the listeners find you uh certainly so if you're looking for my music just type in a day without love on or any where you listen to music spotify apple music etc etc i'm on Bandcamp. Uh, if you're looking for my podcast, Dreams Not Memes, I also have a poetry book that has just been released called Surviving and Diving. Congrats. Thank you. And other than that, go to www.daywithoutlove.com for all my merch and day-to-day updates. Very cool. My mom almost bought some of your merch. I think she actually did because it had a dog on it. Did your lo- did your stuff have a dog on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely have merch with a dog on it. I ship like once every I'm looking two at this or right three now. weeks. Okay. Yeah. Love God stuff. I texted my mom 
your website because I was like, mom, you have to check this out. Thank you so much for being on the show. I hope you guys will check him out. All of his links will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you guys tune in again next week.